0: now, monumental sports and entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fan's Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan the Fan bats around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Stan, take it away.
1: Good morning, everybody, and happy Saturday to you. And no, I am not Stan the Fan, Charles. I am Paul Valley, and joining me in the studio today is Miles Goodman. We're broadcasting at you live from the Live Casino Hotel studio here. And Miles, how are we doing today, man? Glad hey, to see you.
2: Hey, Paul. Good morning. Neither of us are Stan the Fan. Sitting in for Stan the Fan. Gotta love that.
1: Yeah, Stan's pretty lucky he's got himself down in Sarasota watching some spring training baseball. But don't worry. We've got your Stan the Fan fix coming up here shortly. We're going to have Stan on the line at about ten twenty, But for right now, it's just uh, Miles and I kind of running the running the soundboard here and getting you going here on a nice Saturday morning, March 7th. Don't forget, today is Daylight Savings. So everybody push spring those clocks forward tonight at 2 a.m. It's going to become 3 a.m. And that just means an extra hour of daylight, which means we are that much closer to baseball season. And Miles... The Orioles made some moves yesterday, some expected, some unexpected. They sent down guys like Adley Rutschman, Ryan McKenna, Dean Kramer, which will clear up a little bit of that rotation puzzle going on right there. But they also sent both of their Rule 5 pitchers back to their teams, Brandon Bailey going back to the Astros and Michael Rucker going back to the Cubs, something we didn't expect because the Orioles have carried a Rule 5 player on their team Every year since 2014, 2014 was the last time they didn't carry it. Of course, we all know the Orioles won the American League East that year, so that could be a good sign. Probably not. But, you know, what are your thoughts on them sending back to rule five picks? It it caught me by surprise yesterday.
2: Yeah, it caught me by surprise. Uh, I would assume that, just like you, they were going to carry one of them. uh, With as wide open as his pitching situation is, I figured one of the guys would at least take one of the final spots on, on that pitching staff roster. Uh, so it's kind of surprising to see them both go. Uh, I, I just really assume one of them would have made the team. One of them would have stepped up a little bit because it's going to cost the Orioles a little bit of money to return them now.
1: Well, right. So th- I, I well. If the Orioles were to return them, I think they recouped the money that they sent to them. So they they oh, yeah. they recouped 100000 hundred or I think it's $50,000 that they they sent $100,000 to take them in the Rule 5 draft, and I believe they get $50,000 back by sending them back to their team, which is, you know, that's pocket change. Yeah. That's pennies on it's the dollar deal. here, you know what I mean? Right. So uh, that that's the the financial issue, not really a, a big deal for a Major League team, but for the Orioles, they have, you're looking at their rotation right now, and you have, John Means, is the, he was going to be your opening day starter. They haven't made that announcement yet, but he was supposed to go yesterday. Hyde wanted to keep him away from facing the Yankees, but if he started yesterday, that would line him up to start on opening day. So he got some work in at the complex. So did Alex Cobb, who's going to be your number two starter. Asher Wojciechowski figures to slot into that number three position, and you still have two spots open. Now, Keegan Aiken, he's pitched well, but um, Hyde made some ominous comments, and we're going to talk a little bit. With Stan about about his lack of curveball command, and he needs to be able to really locate that pitch to pitch in the American League East. So he may be on the outside looking in, even though nobody said anything yet. So you're really trying to fill those last two spots. You thought a guy like Brandon Bailey would fill that fill that spot, but he's back to the Astros. Rucker was going to be a bullpen piece, but Elias basically said that while it was a tough call, it was just going to be too difficult to carry two Double A pitchers on that roster. Um, with the new rules, like the three batter minimum, instead of it being 10 days before you can bring an option player back up, it's going to be 15 days. So you need that roster flexibility that you don't have carrying two Roll Five picks on your roster.
2: How do you think LeBlanc fits into the starting rotation? Well, look, go ahead.
1: Well, I think that, Le, that LeBlanc, LeBlanc is going to be your number four, your yeah. number four starter.
2: Right. So I, I think. The the way they're going this spring, it's almost like the, you can see the rota- how the rotation is already setting up. It, it's the the, the rotation's setting up well, and the hitters are hitting. So if you can, if they can actually bring this type of play back to back to Baltimore on March 26th, maybe maybe it's more. Maybe it's not a why not season, but maybe it's a maybe why not. Season. You know, maybe they don't win. I think Vegas has them over under around 56 and a half games. Maybe, um, you know, maybe they get to 68. Maybe it is a little bit of a growth season and it isn't going to be a winning season. But it still takes me back to the comments that you made about um, the pitchers. And this is not supposed to be this is we're still knee deep into the rebuild. And that's what really surprised me about them sending the, the couple guys back to the their teams, the Rule 5 guys back, because we're really searching for talent now. This is this is still a, a talent search. We're not looking to be – this is not a competitive season. We're not going out there thinking we're going to win 90 games. We may be in the wild card race, anything like that. So it was really su- a surprise when they both Rule 5 guys went back because the rotation is – to me, it, it still should be wide open because none of, other than Means, who was the all-star last year, and kind of a surprise, and you're hoping that he kind of continues this way. Uh, there's nobody really in there that should be locked in or dominant uh, moving forward or going into the season.
1: Well, right. And LeBlanc, I think, has an inside track at that number four spot. It, it was looking like. Tommy Malone was going to take that fifth spot in the rotation. Right now, he hasn't pitched since February 27th. He flew off. He threw off flat ground the other day, but he's dealing with a neck and trapezius issue right now. That he's still waiting to get clearance to pitch in a game. He might do so this weekend, maybe early part of next week. Cole Stewart. Uh, has been sidelined a little bit with some arm soreness. He's yet to pitch. I think the plan is for him to pitch in a game tomorrow. I believe that game is going to be uh, broadcast on Mastin, if I'm, if I'm correct. Um, I th- so I think – and Cole Stewart was a former number 4 pick in the draft, uh, I believe back in 2013, I want to say. And so that's a guy who – the Twins, I don't know if they gave up on them too early or they saw something they didn't like, but he's with the Orioles now. And the thing that you have to remember about Cole Stewart it is a one-year – major league deal, but he has an option left. So there's still the option for the Orioles to send him down to the minor leagues to get a little bit more seasoning, maybe get him stretched out a little bit because he still hasn't thrown yet in camp. And that's kind of a big deal. We're less than three weeks from opening day, and one of your guys who's competing for rotation spot still hasn't thrown, and another guy's got an injury. Keegan Aiken, it's looking like, might have an inside track. But again, the comments that Hyde made about wanting him to be able to better locate that curveball would lend you to believe that he's ticketed for Norfolk to kind of get a little bit more seasoning with his off-speed stuff.
2: I think Malone's a guy you may not see on the opening day roster. I think he's a guy you may see a little bit later just because he's (laughs) he's dealing with the injuries. Um, So I think think it's going to be that shuttle back and forth in Norfolk where they're Bringing guys up, sending them down, depending on on the on their success, uh, and like the, the um, oh, who's the other guy you mentioned uh, from Minnesota, the fourth round pick,
1: um, uh, Cole Stewart. He, store, he, he store, was a first round pick, or, fourth overall. For,
2: fourth overall is um, that's the kind of thing again that they're potential. They need potential here, so you could you, you're you take the risk on a guy like that, bring him in. And, and hope he regains that kind of form that, that he had. Uh, because there, there's just a lot of openings. Before the, before this team becomes really competitive again, they're going to need guys like that bringing them in. If they succeed, great. If they don't, they're on the next train out and next, guy, you know, next man up. But this roster is wide open for guys to make their play and make it into the major leagues.
1: Oh, absolutely. And they, there's no question about it. There's a lot of talent it's down there in camp and you have to have a lot of talent if you had a lot of if you had I think they at one point had 69 players in camp it's down to 54 now after some of the reassignments to minor league camp yesterday and um, some of the guys being sent back to their teams but we're going to talk to Stan, the fan Charles, uh, about that at 10:20 today. Then at 10:45, Craig Heiss is going to join us. We're going to talk to him uh, about the Nationals, a uh, bit of an Aaron Judge injury, another one. Three straight years that he's going to miss time with an injury after that, that huge rookie season. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about some about Christian Yelich and Cole getting lit up. Uh, then at 11:11, we have the Miley correspondent for the uh, for Orioles Hangout, and that is. Eric Garfield and Eric is gonna. He spends all of his time every day at Twin Lakes Park, which is the Orioles minor league complex for their spring training and their spring training uh, facilities. And he, I spoke to him last night, and he is very Mm -hmm. excited about a lot of minor league players. In fact, he told me he spent so much time watching the minor league players that he does. He hasn't really had time to watch the major league team as much this year. So we're going to have him on about quarter after 11 to talk. And then we're going to close the show today with Bill Ladson at eleven thirty, 1130, 11.35 in his weekly segment. Talk about some of the AL East pitching woes and what the other competition is in the American League and in the National League for World Series contenders because right now it's Yankees, Astros, and Dodgers, and then who else. But for me, I don't even know if it's the Yankees because they are so banged up in every facet Uh, They lost Dylan Batances. That bullpen's going to be a little bit weaker, even though it's still one of the more solid ones in baseball. So we'll see how that's going to go when we get Bill on the line at 1135. Now, I mentioned to you Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich just signed a two-year, $215 million contract extension with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Yelich... one of the best players in baseball, National League MVP in his first season with the Brewers two years ago. Last year, he was on pace to do it again. Back injury sidelined him, and then he had a dislocated kneecap, caused him to miss about the last month or so of the season. End of the season prematurely. You're looking at 23.8 million dollars a year for the next nine years for a 28-year-old outfielder. He got a team. He gave them a team-friendly deal. I. I 23.8 million. You got guys like Manny Machado making 30 million dollars a year. Christian Yelich is a National League MVP, and he took less than 24 million a year. What are your thoughts?
2: Uh, I think it's kind of a combination. He's 28 years old, right? 28, 28 years old. Mm-hmm. So he's he knows he's set for life. He doesn't want to leave Milwaukee. Um, it's a great deal for him. It's a great deal for the team. Why why not do it? Uh, avoid free agency. Avoid everything. Your family's set up. Uh, I, I I sort of wonder sometimes why other players like Manny Machado. Not to, I don't want to dwell on Manny, but he was a guy who said he wanted to stay in Baltimore. Well, he knew Baltimore couldn't pay the kind of money that Manny wanted, so he knew he knew he was going to get traded or go go to free agency. So I, I would like to see more like more players maybe look at, out for themselves and maybe do a a, a team friendly type deal that they're comfortable with. They're set for life. And what it does, what it does do from the player's perspective is the next player up, the next agent up that's negotiating a contract then has to look at that and negotiate against that. So the team says, look, this guy took 23.8 million a year. uh, And that, that sets the bar lower for the next players that are coming through trying to negotiate. So it's good for him, it's good for the team, but it's not necessarily good for the, the next players that are negotiating their contracts.
3: Well,
1: absolutely, and y- you, you, you hit the nail on the head. You're setting yourself up for life. Christian Yelich doesn't have to worry about contract talks again until he's 37 years old. And at that point, he might be thinking about hanging it up. You Absolutely. know, I, And I think that you're seeing in a lot of professional sports, a lot of players ret- retiring, you're still going to have guys like Nelson Cruz who's hanging around who's still going to hit 40 home runs at the age of 40 probably. Um, and like Tom Brady who's you know 42 years old and he's looking to sign a two-year deal in free agency at quarterback. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of guys are – Retiring earlier on in their careers, and you look at Bryce Harper, who signed that 13-year contract extension uh, or contract with the Phillies last off-season. That's a guy, and and I think he's making like 23 million a year off of that. He's he's not making 30 million a year like Machado or 34 million a year like Mike Trout, but he is in the same city, still making a ton of money, and he's the face of a franchise for the next 13 years. Christian Yelich is doing the same thing there in Milwaukee. My whole question for, the, for that is, from Milwaukee's standpoint, what are you doing? Because, yeah, you want to lock up a guy like that, but you got to build around him. They're the only team in baseball that doesn't have a prospect in the top 100 list. And they don't have, they have a second baseman whose name escapes me right now, and I apologize. Um, they have a second baseman who was a rookie last year who played very, very well. But other than that, you have an aging Lorenzo Kane in center field. You have an aging Ryan Braun in right field and also at first base. You traded Zach Davies to the Padres. Now you got a nice, in uh, Luis Urias, Urias, you got a nice infield prospect who's probably going to play every day in Milwaukee. And you got um, Eric Lauer who. He's a middling pitcher. You know, he's had some success. At ERA close to four and a half last year. But they got they got some solid pieces back. But these certainly aren't guys that you're that you're you know running to running to to lead you to a championship. And the Brewers playoff contenders each of the last two years. I just unless they're going to be big in free agency, I don't
2: know what how they're going to build around Yelich. Well, sometimes you have to make those moves for PR. You got to like you you have to make that signing. Uh, in order for payroll, for everything else, to make it look like you're trying to, to compete. And I think, it was, I think it was a good move, solid move. Uh, they can try to fill in around him now, which uh, you've now got your, your, your big piece of the, the pie to build around. So you sort of have to wait to see what moves they decide to make, but they sort of set themselves up to build around him for the next five years. But by the time he's 37, 38, unless you're a Tom Brady or Nelson Cruz which more like freak of natures uh it's it, he'll probably be ready to move on at that point.
1: Well right. And when when players sign these big deals, it's not about the end of the contract yeah, it's for now. the for the team. It's it's about now. It's about what are you going to do the first 5 or 6 years of this contract? And if you hit 300 with 40 home runs and you lead your team to the playoffs multiple times in those first in the first half of that contract, teams are usually willing to, you know, to pay pay what they have to. You you look at Albert Pujols, you know, going, signing that huge deal with the Angels. Now look, he's not the player that he was in St. Louis. He he hasn't been since he got to L.A. Um, But they signed him thinking, this is a guy paired with Mike Trout that's going to put us over the top. Unfortunately, That hasn't happened. They've made the playoffs once since Pujols got there, and I think that was his first year with the team. Uh, They finally have built around Trout now, and they signed him to that big extension, but you're still paying Pujols a lot of money, and he hasn't lived up to what you needed him to do when you signed him to that mega contract.
2: How happy would we be if Chris Davis, the first couple years of the the mega contract he got, had hit 30 homers, batted 245, knocked in 110 runs, and struck out uh, 160 times we'd be we would be singing his praises to the sky right now about what a great signing that was so it, it it's really um the proof will be as you go through the years and just see how 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 it works out
1: absolutely i 100 agree so hey we we have stan charles and we're going to be getting on the line here in just a minute uh miles is going is gonna pay some bills for us right now while i get stan on the line
2: So the Battle Round is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One, full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Uh, Let's see. What are we doing? Um, You know them from hits like that was a crazy game or poker and shattered and now they're coming home. Maryland's own OAR headlines the Hall at Live at Live Casino Hotel on Saturday, March 14th. As part of their Spring Fling uh, tour, tickets start at $50.49 for a show that starts at 8 p.m. This show is for ages 18 and up. Also coming to the Hall at Live, Live Casino Hotel, Adam Sandler, March 19th. Air Supply, April 3rd. Josh Gibbon, uh, Josh Grobin, April 16th. Patty LaBelle, May 2nd, Wu-Tang Clan, May 8th, Jay Leno, May 15th, This 1975, <clears throat> May 29th, Alice Cooper, June 21st, Gabrielle Iglesias, August 22nd, and so much more. Free parking for all events. Get your tickets for everything now by going to livecasinohotel.com. Uh, this is Miles Goodman, not Stan the Fan. You know, we're all all hoping for a special season out of our baseball team, the Orioles. When it comes to dining out casually and affordable, I know a place that is special every season. The cost is in at 4100 North Point Boulevard. Not only are they known all over for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes, they have a couple of specials you want to keep in mind. Monday night is crab cake night. Tuesday night is ribs night. Wednesday night is steak night partnered with half price bottles of your favorite wines, and Thursday night is lobster night. So check out the Costas Inn this baseball season, and you may come back um, whenever or whatever in that season. 4100 North Point Boulevard, phone number 410-477-1975.
1: All right, and now joining us live from Sarasota, your host with the most, we have Stan the Fan Charles on the line Stan, how are you today?
2: I'm doing great. I enjoyed Miles's read at In Inspot. Holy mackerel, Stan. I don't know I, how you doing. <laughs> how you doing, guys? We're doing pretty well. Doing pretty well rolling
1: along here. How are things down in Sarasota, Stan? Uh,
4: things are kind of a, in a semi-panic mode here with the coronavirus. Uh, can't find toilet paper, parole, water, uh, you know everybody's uh panicking right now you can so, even
2: find it on on amazon if you can purell's like two hundred dollars a bottle or something
4: yeah yeah it's uh, crazy i heard yesterday at costco they were selling lysol like spray cans of lysol for 17 dollars usually like about 5.99 or something like that That's- so i'm always amazed at that you know at the uh, critical times how people try and profiteer because they can, you know. Well, that, I that, guess it's I guess it's no different than when there's a Super Bowl and there's there's X amount of tickets available, uh, the price goes up. You know, uh, I it just I it always boggles my mind in times of emergency how things go up like that.
1: Well, that's supply and demand, right?
4: Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, yep, and that seems yep. to be
1: what's going on across the country. Everybody's freaking out, and, and rightfully so. There's been a number of deaths and uh, related to the coronavirus, and you know they're actually talking about playing NBA games in front of empty crowds. Um, yeah, and, and I heard.
4: I heard Johns Hopkins is hosting a Division three uh, playoff. Uh, you know, uh, like a, a Division three tournament at uh, Homewood Field at Homewood. You know, on the Homewood campus, and there are going to be no fans.
1: That's that's crazy. Yeah. It, t- it takes you back to that 2015 game between the Orioles and the White Sox when they played uh, during the during the riots for them, the whole yep. the whole Freddie Gray fallout, playing in an empty yep. ballpark, and yep. that yep. that brings me to the question. Um, people are starting to question opening day. Uh, Stan, what do you think the chances are that opening day might not have fans?
4: Uh, well, it's it's pretty. You know, I, I'm not smart enough to project what's going to happen, but it's. Pretty Pretty amazing to see what we've what where we've gone in roughly ten to fourteen days you know mm-hmm. uh it's been pretty crazy, so I don't know I guess uh for now we'll get back to talking about things on the field
1: yeah because absolutely
4: we're let's, not going to be able to answer those questions right now
1: absolutely let's let's we'll let know. our health
4: health officials uh uh inform us you know,
1: yeah, we'll let them do their jobs we'll do our jobs let's lighten the mood here a little bit <laughs> yeah. um. Brandon Bailey and Michael Rucker, the Orioles' two uh, Roll 5 picks from back in December at the winter meetings, got sent back to their respective teams. Uh, one of these guys, Brandon Bailey, was vying for a rotation spot, Michael Rucker, outside rotation shot, but also an opportunity at the bullpen. Stan, this is the first time since 2014 the Orioles won't have a Rule 5 player on their draft. Uh, what's going on down there? Were you surprised by the move?
4: Uh, I was. Uh, I, I had plans last night uh, to have dinner with some people, so I didn't make any contact with the ball club or anything yesterday. Uh, I'm on my way to Port Charlotte today, and I'll see the game tomorrow. Then there's an off day on Monday, and then I'll see Tuesday night's game at Ed Smith Stadium. So imagine my shock. I uh, I put on my MLB trade rumors. Uh, you know, I click on it, and I see about 2 o'clock in the afternoon – that the Orioles have returned both of these guys back. And I'm going, what the what the hell? I thought they were both supposed to be pretty good. It, it's really a, a sign of two things. I think it's a sign that maybe they think, and I'm not going down the Grayson Rodriguez-D.L. Hall route, but maybe they feel good enough about Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer, uh, that, that those guys might be able to help at some point in the season. I would even say, based on what I saw the other day, that Aiken may actually be vying for a spot on the big league roster right now. Um, and I think I think the other thing that's going on, I'm not predicting that Keegan Aiken is, is vying for an actual real starting rotation spot, but I think what, what may be going on, is the Orioles behind Means, Cobb, and Wojciechowski are at least readying themselves and their roster for, for trying the opener this year. Uh, it was something that they tried a couple times last year, um, only a couple times, but w- repeatedly when I would talk to Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde last year, and I seem to be one of the only people in the media that would continually bring up the topic, um, and I found both of them, sort of at the time, I sort of thought they were just giving me, you know, lip service. Uh, but they said, you know, it's something that you really have to prepare your roster for, your 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 pitching staff for. And I, I don't know that I understood it at the time, because we were getting our brains beat in, night in and night out. But when you think about it, guys like Wade LeBlanc and Tommy Malone, They wouldn't be the openers, but they serve, both of them in the last couple years, have served with the Seattle Mariners as the bulk guy coming out of the bullpen for innings like, you know, like after two and a third innings or two innings, they come in for three and two thirds, and suddenly then you're into your real bullpen, which is, you know, hopefully Sean Armstrong, Paul Fry. Then, then Hunter Harvey, maybe Dylan Tate or somebody like that, Richard Blyer, and then Givens, and, and who knows which way they'll use him. If Hunter Harvey's healthy, I think Hunter Harvey may be in games for the last outs, and Givens may be used more in the seventh inning when the game may be on the line in a different way. But I think what's going on here, because it, there's no clear-cut guys that stand out to me. I think the club is readying itself and their pitching staff to make use of the opener at least once a week.
1: Well, I think that you could that you could be right there. And Hyde has spoken out about not necessarily liking the idea of an opener, but circumstances dictate the moves that you make, and the Orioles' circumstances aren't exactly the best right now. You mentioned Keegan Aiken. You mentioned Dean Kramer, who actually got reassigned to minor league camp yesterday.
2: Yeah, yep.
1: Um Keegan Aiken, he had a start on Thursday, and Hyde was very complimentary, but he said something, Stan. I'm going to read you a quote here.
4: Go ahead. I'm, the, I'm interested because I liked what I saw of Keegan Aiken the other day. Well,
1: and, and, and he threw well, and Hyde said that, but he also said this Thought the breaking ball was good at times, a little bit inconsistent tough to go through American League lineups if you can't land it in there and get them the to chase when you want. So I mm-hmm. think there's still improvement to be made, but I was impressed by the performance.
4: To the key me, in there is go through lineups, so you don't really have to go through the lineup if you're only using them for two innings.
1: Right, and I would tend to yeah. agree with you there, but I also think that there may have been a little bit of an ominous um, vibe to that quote because to me it's, it's Hyde saying, I think that Aiken, Aiken might need a little bit more seasoning before he's ready to pitch at the big league level. What are your thoughts on that?
4: Well, I, I think I've stated what they are. I think he's got a chance to make the big league club, and I think if, it, if they do bring him, if he comes north with the team, or he's he's up in May or something like that, I think this may be his introduction to major league baseball. You know, do I think Keegan Aiken based on? On, on my perusal of his numbers in 2019 at AAA, do I think he's ready? No, I think he needs another season at AAA, uh, or at least like a good half of the season at AAA, another 100, 120 innings down there. Uh, but, um, but certainly if they decide to go in that direction, the idea of using a, starter not quite ready for prime time when you're only looking for him to get through two innings and then going to, to him alone uh, is, is quite interesting. But one of the things I will tell you is a guy like a Sean Armstrong for me also makes sense as an opener because one of the things I like is if Sean Armstrong's the pitcher, the club is most likely going to stack the lineup with left-handed batters and if nothing else, you force them to go to their bench very early to face a LeBlanc or a Malone. Now, I'm getting ahead of my skis here a little mm-hmm. bit, but this is what I, this is how I'm reading the tea leaves because I don't think Tommy Malone or LeBlanc are, are typical starting pitchers that you could kind of count on. But again, as you said, um, necessity is the mother of invention.
2: Well, once you get past the first three the Orioles don't really have any, anybody that sort of fits in. I almost look at this as a full audition sort of for a lot of the pitchers all season that they'll have an opportunity to either make or break. And I see that getting shuffled up and down all season, kind of like they've done other years, bringing them, bringing guys up to pitch, sending them back down, bringing another guy up. And I just think it's going to be a, a,
4: Well, there's a little bit, there's something a little bit different going on, too, there, and that may have had something to do with Bailey and Rucker not being on the team. If you read Mioli's piece yesterday, he alluded to Elias talking about, A, the the new rule where a pitcher has to come in and face three batters, you know, before he can be removed is one thing, and you also, when you, I think when you put, I'd have to go back and read the article again. But I think he alluded to the fact that you have to stay up, I think, 15
2: days now. Yeah, I think you're correct. And I, I think some yeah. of the success that the pitchers are having right now is because they're real, they're, they are only facing uh, – they're going through the lineup one time. They're pitching an inning, pitching two innings. They're not going through the lineup three times where that's when the batter tends to catch up. So I think some of the success – I mean, I love the idea that they're 8-5 and five right now. I didn't think I'd see him eight and five even in the Grapefruit League. So to see him at eight and five, and I know we haven't talked about this, and I don't know if you want to go down this road, but Chris Davis is six for, six for 12 with three home runs, two strikeouts. I mean, have you seen him at all down there? Is he do? Is there anything different about? Chris I've, Davis? I've only
4: gone to I've gone to one game. I did not go to last night's game. Uh, and I don't know even know if he played last night. I know the Orioles won five to one, but I I had some plans last night, and I don't like that drive over to Tampa. So I'm going today, tomorrow, and uh, no game on Monday and then Tuesday. So I'll see three games. Uh, it'll be interesting how much he plays. It's such a small sample size, but you have to be encouraged by the two strikeouts. You have to be encouraged by the couple home runs, and you got to be encouraged that he's putting the ball in play. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I've I've heard a story from somebody that I know pretty well uh, about something to do with and working with an eye doctor, but I haven't talked to Chris yet or anybody from the club about it so I don't want to really go down that road. But it's it's definitely a little bit encouraging. Getting back to the pitching, though, for just a second, uh, I know it might seem simplistic, but, you know, the Orioles had a 5-6-9 earn run average last night mm-hmm. on the pitching staff. And that, right. that, that completes about a five-year run uh, where their pitching staff, and I think I, I did the math in it or the, the study on it about three weeks ago in an article I wrote their pitching staff, ERA, has gone up every year since 17, uh, 16. 16, 17, 18, 19. They've, actually, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. The ERA gets a little bit higher each year. It was way higher last year than it's ever been. 5-6-9 is just... You, you're you're going to lose an awful lot of games when it's 5-6-9. Uh, the other thing about 5-6-9... That's why you lose 40 games by over five five runs or more, and you lose an additional 17 by three runs or more. So when I project the Orioles this year, and I know it's, it's not like I'm running it through a computer and a, 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 a software program that I created or anything, but to me, if you get that, that team-run run average back under five, whether it's four-eight, four-nine, That half, like almost six-tenths of a run per game, means you're going to play a lot more closer games. And I think once you're in closer games, you have a chance to win some of those. If Hunter Harvey's healthy, if Dylan Tate is as good as I think he can be, if Gibbons is having a good season. Uh, So I'm a little optimistic. I'm not predicting 70 or 75 wins, but I'm thinking the club's going to, be in a lot more close games and to me that means you're going to win your share of those if the pitching is a little bit better and I think it is from top to
2: bottom. I have a question for you you're talking about ERA and I know your ERA is important no matter if you're home or away Yep. Camden Yards is a tough, a tough place to pitch we all know that it's small it's tough It, it ball carries do we have any idea what the Oriole ERA is home versus on the road?
4: I don't know it offhand. It's not. It's not that hard to to find, but uh, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's a good. It probably. Uh, you'd probably find it being sort of a half a run higher at home. You know. So in other words, at five six nine at home, it may have been. I mean, Dan Straley himself may have accounted. Uh, at at Camden Yards for a half a run to the team you are at. Uh I mean, he was just absolutely pathetic last year, and uh, the it, you know visions of him giving up home runs. I mean, he gave up like 28 home runs, I think, in 47 innings.
3: Yeah, look at like
2: a launching uh, pad. I mean, it was, yeah. yeah, it was, it was yeah, and, and you know pitchers can pitch at Camden Yards. We've seen it from the days of Rick, Rick Sutcliffe, Mike Mussina. We've seen guys that
4: – Well, we've um, seen it as recently as and Chen and uh, yeah. Chris Tillman. You know, we're pretty darn good at uh, Oriole Park.
2: The Orioles haven't had a 20-game winner since they've been at Oriole Park, Camden Yards, have they? No, they haven't. They
4: haven't had a 20-game winner since Mike Boddicker in 1984.
0: And once that was he... a team that
4: had – I forget how many they had prior to that. I think it was like 12 or 14, something like that. But they've gone by the, you know, they're a, di- they're a relic of, yeah. uh, of a game from a long time ago. Well,
1: uh, once again, we, you are joining us live from the Live Casino Hotel studio. And we have Stan the Fan Charles, your usual bat-around host on the line with us today. But Stan is down in Sarasota, the lucky dog. Uh, Stan, you were talking about how the pitching you think is going to be much improved this year. And we, we've been talking about the rotation. At- I didn't like, say, I
4: want to be clear, I'm not saying much improved. Going from 5.69 to 4.9 is improved. I wouldn't say getting back to like 4.2, that would be much improved. But that's a run and a half. And the likelihood with this group being able to knock that down. But I think what you'll see is, and alluding to what Miles referenced, with a lot of people coming up, the maximum you can have, and I talked to Brandon Hyde about this the other day, the maximum you can have at any one time is 13 pitchers. Uh, but I do think you will see the uh, shuttle between Norfolk and uh, Baltimore uh, heating up a little. But it's a very interesting development. You know, we've we've come over the last eight or nine years to expect when the Orioles take a Rule 5 that they're going to sort of force-feed them because their ego's on the line. This was a very different A very different um, machination by Mike Elias and his people uh, to sort of make a quick turn and say, you know what, with all the complications about keeping these guys on the roster all year, let's cut bait on this now. We've got enough of what we've seen that, that is as good without the complications of trying to work around keeping them.
1: Oh, well, absolutely, and, and and I stand corrected. Maybe not much improved, but they are going to be improved. Yeah. You said improved top to bottom. Yeah, I think
4: they will be improved. Yeah.
1: And you're looking at it, though, and between injuries and the flu, you still have a number of guys who either have only pitched once or haven't pitched at all. Uh, yeah. and, and Tommy Malone, he has this neck and trapezius issue going on, just flew off, threw off flat ground the other day. He might pitch uh, end of this weekend, maybe be early next week. He's still waiting for clearance on that. Then you look at Cole Stewart, who the Orioles uh, who the Orioles got from the Twins this offseason for a one-year $800,000 deal, um, major league deal, but he still has an option left. He's yet to throw with arm yep. soreness. He's yet to throw in a game. Now, I yep. heard that he might throw on Sunday. Is that still lining up to go that way?
4: I have no, I have no idea what's going on. I'm, today is my sort of, you know, Thursday was my first day down here uh, going to a ball game, and then I took yesterday off, and now I'm, I'm sort of into it today, and I'm on my way down to Port Charlotte right now. I pulled off the side of the road. I'm in a very comfortable, like, sort of rest stop. Uh, with palm trees and everything by the way not to change the subject so i'm i'm visiting with Boog pal uh... before the game it was a three o'clock start on um, thursday afternoon at ed smith stadium and i came back last year and i warned a couple of Oreo officials that they've got a little bit of a problem with boogs barbecue is in the left field corner it's in fair territory when I say in fair territory, it's on the fair side of the pole it's beyond the left field fence by about sixty yards or so, and I'm standing there talking to Boog pal and i'm here I'm hearing ooh, ooh, <laughs> you know, and balls are coming in there, and nobody's really paying attention to batting practice they're all partying and looking at Boog and all that. and all of a sudden I'm talking to Boog in his tent and Everybody goes. Woo! I look up, and just in time, the ball hits the front flap of Boots' tent. Hits my left knee in the air. Um, it was pretty amazing that I got actually hit by a batting practice home run.
2: Did you get the ball?
4: I did not get the ball. Oh, I do have. I do have some some marks that prove I was hit there because the stitches drew a little bit of blood believe it or not. So, but I'm really fortunate, and I am telling you, if anybody from the Orioles is listening, um, they got they have a little bit of a problem there. It's a great atmosphere. They have done a incredible job screening the entire, you know, to, from foul pole to foul pole. But during batting practice, there are literally hundreds of people back there having a good time, and they're not really paying attention to the game. Um, to the game because it's batting practice they're there drinking a beer having a boogs barbecue visiting with friends and all of a sudden i'm telling you i've seen it close but i actually got hit
5: well
2: it's becoming an issue all around major league baseball and you're seeing more and more uh netting and fencing going up to, to, to protect the fans there's been lawsuits against it and uh during during regular during the, the actual you know nine innings but you're right. I mean, I've been out even on Utah Street during batting practice, and balls are coming out there. you got to be, you got to be careful uh, all the way around, just the little signs uh, that say, you know, be careful, you know, balls. So remember,
4: it, and at Camden Yards, you know, batting practice ends about 45 minutes before a game starts. Uh, this was still early, but people come out earlier to spring training games because – They've flown down there. They want the, the full experience of being there. So um, Boogs Barbecue Boogs area is it just packed with people. And I'm telling you, they're, they're there like sitting ducks.
2: Hey, I saw on Facebook uh, you had your first hot dog, your first preseason hot dog.
4: I do that every year, I and say- I thought I made excellent use of the exit sign because <laughs> that hot dog, <laughs> exited very quickly into my (laughs) mouth.
1: I thought that's what you were alluding to, (laughs) man. You are a bold man. (laughs) Too much information there, Stan. (laughs) Hey, Stan, do they have any extra catcher's gear around the complex? Because you're a top commodity around here. I don't know that we can keep letting you go down to spring training if you can't protect yourself a little bit better.
4: (laughs) I'm going to try my best. Uh, I'm not going to – well, I'll tell you what, I'll be at Boogs again uh, tomorrow night for the night game tomorrow. I know tomorrow's a day game against the Yankees. Uh, but uh, Tuesday is an evening game, a six o'clock game yeah. down here. It was interesting the other day that that game was a three o'clock game. Uh, never seen a three o'clock game in the midweek.
1: Yeah, I found that interesting too. Uh, that that they had a three o'clock game because you're right; you don't really see that. I was actually pretty surprised myself.
4: But
0: yeah.
1: hey, Stan, thank you so much for coming on the show and joining us and helping us, you know, right the ship here while while you're. Uh, while you're gone, we got to go pay a few bills, but I really appreciate you. Pay a coming few
4: on. bills, and then who you got coming up next?
1: oh uh, we got Heisty coming
4: on this week. Heisty, and then, and then and then uh, Eric Garfield then Eric coming Garfield, on. And Eric Garfield, and then we got Bill Bill
1: Lads in his weekly segment right. after. Guys, I so. really appreciate
4: it. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely happy to have you, man. Be careful. All right, <laughs> on my way
4: to Port Charlotte. Bye. All right, so
1: oop, got a little loud there. Got a little loud there. My apologies. We want to welcome back a longtime sponsor and friend, uh, GB, uh, friend GBT and Mark Schwartzman, located right in the heart of Glen Burnie. Glen Burnie Transmissions has been going on for 60 years. If you suspect you are having a transmission problem, GBT can save you hundreds of dollars over taking it to the car dealers for a repair. Make an appointment, and they offer estimates and free diagnostics. Call GBT toll-free at 855-728-1841. Their mission is simple, to provide excellent service at a reasonable price. If you have any questions about the level of service, go to their website at gbt-online.com to check out the number of five-star reviews. Let my friend Mark Schwartzman and his GBT team take the troubles out of transmission troubles. Call them today toll-free at 855 728 1841 and Miles. I'm getting a little bit hungry. After the show, I might head down to Sliders, located just outside of Camden Yards. Our good friends at Sliders Bar and Grill are having their 30th birthday party today at 4 p.m., a free buffet from 4 to 7 p.m., drink specials, and Fancy Clancy himself as the DJ. Fancy Clancy, the Fancy uh, Clancy you, you beer the, you, the beer man beer down at Camden Yards. Camden, so,
2: he goes back to Memorial Stadium. He's been around a long time.
1: Yeah, he, he even has his own beer. So, Sliders is located across the street from Camden Yards, just steps from home plate. Once again today at 4 o'clock, they are having their 30th birthday party, offering a free buffet from 4 to 7 p.m., Be sure to show up and say hello and tell them that Miles, Stan, and Paul over at PressBox sent you. All right, we're going to get a break, and then after the break, we're going to have Craig Heist on the show joining us.
0: Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Slider's Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season, with all the games on dozens of TVs. Slider's daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more, with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all of the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Slider's, one of Baltimore's original, continuously operating bars royal farms is known for being real fresh and real fast but we're also real baltimore that's because baltimore is our home base and our home like purple and black flamingos and sunglasses or crabs and old bay our subs are real baltimore right down to the name we make them fresh delicious and to your order all day every day at a price that's easy to swallow royal farm subs are another reason why royal farms is real fresh real fast real baltimore
6: Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostaZen.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere.
0: What has two premium cod fillets, breaded and cooked to tasty perfection, and served on a toasted buttered bun with dill pickles? chips. It's the Chick-fil-A Fish Sandwich, and it's back at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. This also means that the fish strips and deluxe fish sandwich have resurfaced. Chick-fil-A Fish is the lightest, flakiest, tastiest fish you'll ever put in your mouth. If you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering. Not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing, and it'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, $5,198. Cam- Boulevard. Call Steve if you want your party catered by Chick Fil A. 410-931-0031. That's Chick Fil A, Nottingham Square.
5: If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself. What's your warrior? Go to Army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore
7: catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, voted best sports bar 18 times, where we have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Enjoy $6.99 burgers on Mondays, $5.99 nachos on Thursdays, and other food and drink specials throughout every season to help you cheer on your favorite teams. Come in today and try something new from our seasonal menu. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. All right, welcome back to the battle round from
1: the Live Casino Hotel Studio. It's Miles Goodman and Paul Valley here, uh, leading the ship today with Stan uh, down at spring training and Heisty, un- Craig Heist, unable to come into the studio today. But we do have Craig on the line right now, and without further ado, he's going to be joining us right now. Craig, how we doing, man? Hey, man, how you guys doing? doing pretty well the show seems to be going pretty well right now i think that uh miles and i are hitting our stride how you
2: feeling today about it miles it's always good to be back in the hot seat i'm right here in stan charles's seat like doesn't get any better than that
3: well i don't know what to say about that i don't know whether i want to be in stan's seat or not but anyway well i think that any
1: seat that stands in uh becomes a hot seat uh if, if you know um but anyway, Heist, what do you have going on uh, that you can't be in studio with us today that we can't? Well, we got
3: we this? got 12th or 14th ranked Villanova, depending on uh, who, what poll you look at, uh, at uh, Capital One Arena, going up against Georgetown, is trying to avoid uh, uh, extending their losing streak, if you will, uh, because the uh, uh, the Hoyas have lost five straight, and it's been a uh, been kind of a struggle for them because they're playing without uh, two of their best players, and that's Max McClung and also Omer Yurtzsavin. Uh, and it is senior day, uh, so there's probably going to be a little bit of extra energy in the building. Uh, the Hoyas are also trying to avoid uh, falling behind or falling under 500 for the first time. So uh, a lot on the line here for them because I know they'd like to head into the head into that Big East tournament with a little bit of momentum because that's going to be a tall order. Uh, the only way they can really have a shot in an NCAA playoff berth is if they win that tournament, and uh, that's going to be a pretty tall order with some of the teams uh, that are in it. So that said, uh, we're here basically, yes, to cover Georgetown because that's what we do, but also nationally from a network standpoint, uh, Villanova, uh, you know the 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 uh, Wildcats always uh, always bring their fans, and that's a pretty good fan base. And uh, it'll be tough for them today, no question.
1: Well, absolutely. And you're talking about momentum, and then you look at our Maryland Terrapins, losers of three of the last four games. <laughs> now, honestly, it should have been four straight, if not for that miracle win over Minnesota about a week and a half ago. Uh, yeah. Maryland, Maryland's kind of backing into this Big Ten tournament. They need a win. They were up by three games with five to go. Now they need a win on Sunday just, just to, to clinch a tie of the Big Ten uh, regular season crown. What's going on with the Terps right now?
4: Well, what's going on with them
1: is
3: uh, I, I just think that they have to go back to being themselves and uh, try to do the things that they've done uh, you know, to win 23 games and put themselves in a position to, to even play for a Big Ten, regular season, uh, uh, yeah, Big Ten regular season title. And that means taking care of the basketball, no turnovers. You remember during a nine-game winning streak, that was one of the biggest things that occurred, was the fact that they weren't turning the ball over. Anthony Cowan was playing much better. Uh, what you don't want to see, I don't think, uh, tomorrow against Michigan, is you know you, you, you have a situation where... In the last game, they wind up throwing up 32 threes. That's just not going to get it done, especially when you don't shoot the three that well. So from that standpoint, uh, Mark Turgeon's got to figure out a way to get this team back to playing the kind of basketball that they're used to playing. You know, I I would like to see this team go a little bit more inside out as opposed to outside in. You know, use sticks and, and, and run some offense out of the half court. That's something that gets lost in the shuffle a lot of times, but uh, I'm not ready to give up on him by any stretch of the imagination. Now, you know, you look at Mark Turgeon, <clears throat> excuse me, in this uh, Maryland team during the Turgeon era. The one thing we've we've seen repeatedly is, you know, they get to this point in the season, late February and into March, and they have a tendency to collapse. So, uh, again, if that happens. Uh, there's going to be some questions, people calling for Turgeon's head. Uh, everybody was off of his back when they were winning nine straight. All of a sudden, they've lost three or four, and then you're, you're looking at a totally different situation. But, you know, the proof will be in the pudding once they get this done, once they get the Big Ten tournament out of the way. And, again, momentum into the NCAA tournament, you would like to see them win a couple of games in that Big Ten tournament. Just to give them some, some uh, you know, confidence, if nothing else, heading in to, to the NCAA. So we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because Maryland has has yet to win a Big Ten conference, uh, a Big Ten tournament game since they've been in the Big Ten tournament. We've seen year after year too that whenever they struggle, everybody's calling for Turgeon's head. Then the minute they start winning, everybody it gets off their you know, gets off of his back. But I think. Yeah. You can turn it around in one game if they have a if they can win tomorrow and maybe get a little momentum going into the tournament and have a decent showing in the tournament. Maybe they could pull out a two seed. I've seen them anywhere between a two and a five. I think five is pretty far down. I see it maybe as a three, three to four, depending on how they do in the tournament. Uh, but this is not. This is not uncommon for Maryland excluding the national championship year. They well, yeah, that, that's true. And then the Final Four year, right? Those two, you take those two years out. As a Maryland fan, going back to probably like you guys into the '70s, maybe Paul, you're a little bit younger than us, but. Uh, this is not uncommon. I mean, we've seen it against the years when they were playing North Carolina and North Carolina stayed in the way with the Tom Burleson and Monty Towels all the way through to, to these teams that Maryland is just from some reason they're just streaky. Well, now, neither one of you two were
3: around when it was Rick Burleson and Monty Tow. Come on.
1: I, was, I, was. I don't even know who those yeah. guys
5: are. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. Ma- Monty Tow used to drive me crazy because Monty That's Tao was a little bit five foot four guard yeah. and just ran around and threw everybody. And uh, that was also a team that had David Thompson on it, and David Thompson was a Skywalker uh, to go along with Burleson, who was seven three. And uh, but they, they Monty Tal would always throw the alley oop to uh, David Thompson, and uh, and I was a pretty good North Carolina State team, and you go back to '74, they should have probably won that ACC title that year under Lefty, but it uh, didn't happen.
2: But those were the years where only one, the tournament winner, was the only team that moved to the a, to the ACC, you know, to the. Yeah, a- that's
3: that, that's true, and the uh, the Terps went on to do real well in the NIT that year.
2: Yeah, correct. Well,
3: we have Craig
1: Heist on the line joining us today. Uh, Craig, uh, before it's we ta- dating myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Both of us.
1: Uh, getting back to baseball here, uh, before we talk a little bit in depth about the Nationals with you, I want to get your take on Aaron Judge. Because Aaron Judge, we all know he had that monster rookie season in 2017 where he had 52 home runs, was a rookie of the year, and finished second in MVP voting behind the now-tainted Jose Altuve. But ever since then, he missed 45 games of the broken wrist in 2018, 54 games of the oblique injury in 2019. He's hit 54 home runs in the two years since his 52-home run rookie campaign. And now you're looking at a cracked rib. He's going to be out of commission for two weeks, and he might need surgery. What is going on not only with Aaron Judge, but the Yankees as a whole? They can't seem to stay healthy.
3: Well, I mean, it's it's a situation with the Yankees. I mean, think about last year; they won 100 games, uh, and they and they wound up having so many injuries throughout the year. But that offense was so good enough uh, in scoring runs that uh, they compensated for whatever pitching woes they had, and they certainly had enough of those last year. But this will this will be another blow because uh, you're looking at you know Severino going to be gone and. Uh, you're hoping that Paxton and a few other guys kind of step up in the pitching rotation. But uh, when, when you look at them uh, overall, injury-wise, uh, there's some concerns there for Aaron Boone. There's no question about it. Stanton, Judge, and, and again, there's no, there's no uh, guarantee that Judge is going to be ready for opening day. I mean, I read the same report you did yesterday uh, coming out of Tampa that, uh, you know, he's got the stress fracture in the rib. And that they they prescribe two weeks of rest, so that's going to take him out of any baseball activities that he that he could do between now and then, and then that only leaves him about a week to get ready for the regular season. I don't think that's going to happen. My guess is that he probably starts the year on the IL, and uh, you know the Yankees will try to piece it together. And uh, you know the the funny part about it is the funny part about it is what what happened in the offseason when anybody didn't think they were going to bring Brett Gardner back? And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure the Yankees are pretty damn lucky they've got him back
2: now. <laughs> well, when you're only 19 days from the start of the season and he's out for two, uh, there's, I, there's no way he's coming north starting the season.
3: Yeah. Well, you, you never know. And uh, again, uh, it's, uh, you know, and, and how long it takes to heal it could be a very sensitive, uh, sensitive injury, uh, that area. And, you know, the, the, the possibility, as you said, of not coming north would be that he stays in spring training an extended spring to, to heal and rehab and get some swings in at the minor league facilities down there uh, before he's ready to, to get up to the big club. But uh, he's not the only one with that problem. There's a few around Major League Baseball with that issue.
1: Well, yeah, and then you look between, between Judge and now Stanton hurt again. I think he only played, it was either nine or 19 games last year. That's a lot of firepower in the middle of that lineup that the Yankees are missing right now.
3: Yeah, but, well, I mean, look what they did last year. They found other guys next man up, you know, whether it's Jacella, whether it's, uh, you, you know, Sanchez going forward. A lot of different guys wound up contributing last year. And it didn't seem to hurt them too much from an offensive standpoint. And again, I'm sure Aaron Boone. You know, I had a scout tell me that that roster and that organization is probably about as deep as you can get uh, in terms of you know just uh, the the depth of the roster and and in terms of who can contribute and and help from an offensive standpoint, but. Uh, again, you know, I said to somebody the other day, I said, how are they going to do this? And He said, you know, we're about as deep as we can be. Well, that's true, but you still got to get it done on the field, and you still got to pitch. And how well they pitch, especially the early part of the year, I think will tell a lot as to what kind of start they get off to.
2: It's kind of like Earl Weaver used to say with deep depth, and the Yankees have it, and in contrast, when you look at the Orioles, one of their problems right now is they don't have deep depth, and they've got some guys, but They've got some talent to build around, but when you look at the Yankees, uh, they're pretty—they're pretty deep, they're pretty established, and like you said, last year guys stepped up. They had next man up, and uh, when you do that, uh, they're going to be there at the end of the year. Whether they win mm-hmm. whether they win 101 or they win 97, they're probably going to be there at the end of the year.
3: Well, there's no question they're going to be there at the end of the year. I mean, you, you know, you talk about next man up. Look what happened to the Nationals last year and they wound up winning the whole daggone thing. Uh, they start 19 at 31. They don't have Trey Turner. Uh, they're missing Ryan Zimmerman a large part of the year. But then all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they had contributions out of Howie Kendrick, who came back. Uh, they go out in the middle of the year or toward, right after the All-Star break, get as Drupal Cabrera, and uh, he winds up replacing Brian Dozier, who had 20 home runs for the Nats last year, and he winds up losing his job at second base. So uh, again when you, when you can throw a guy, you know, three guys out there like Strasburg, Scherzer and Patrick Corbin and then you add Anibal Sanchez into that mix, you know, pitching usually tells the tale and it certainly did for the Nationals last year when they when they turned it around from being, you know, 12 under 500 to win the whole thing.
1: Well, right, and let's talk about the Nationals a little bit. I mean, this is a team that was as unlikely, in my opinion, as any team to win the World Series, and now they're looking to defend that crown and become the first team since the turn of the of the century to win back-to-back World Series championships. They're they're 4-8 right now in spring training, but, you know, it's spring training. It's about getting your reps and staying healthy. They have three aces in the rotation. Uh, they have a solid lineup, but... But they're missing Anthony Rendon, and I, I don't care you know what anybody says. That is a lot of offensive production and a lot of leadership in that clubhouse that they're going to be missing now. Who's the next man up that's going to take the reins and kind of lead this team back to what they're hoping to be another World Series run?
3: Well, I think, I think no, number one, in my opinion, I think they play in the toughest division in baseball. Oh, I agree. With, 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 that, with the exception of maybe the, the Miami Marlins. Okay, I think those four teams. Either one of those four teams, with their personnel, could get hot and 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 play good and and put themselves in the position to win that division. That said, if you're the Nationals, you kind of have to, you know, you kind of have to approach it like you did last year. You know, the Braves won the division, the Nats got in as the wild card, and that's won the World Series. That said. Uh, I think that Mike Rizzo did a, a great job in the offseason of trying to, and so you, you made a, a reference to it, deep depth. Uh, they went out and they got Starlin Castro, who played the whole year last year with the Marlins, I think almost every game, but he did play 44 games last year at third base. They're going to give Carter Keeboom every opportunity to win this job. I think most people in the organization feel like he's going to hit. The question is whether or not he can play consistent enough defense to keep himself in the lineup. If that happens, then Carter's going to get a good shot to take the bull by the horns and win that job. And I think that if he plays good defense, whatever he may lack offensively, that gives Dave Martinez a chance to give him a little extra rope, uh, you know, as you get in, uh, you know, toward the end of April and into May to see how he's doing. Uh, If if you, If you can't have k ready to play on an everyday basis at third base, you can always move as Dribble Cabrera over to third base, who's played it a lot. Uh, And and you kind of go from there because you still have Castro, who naturally can play second base. But then, you know, you're, you're looking at a platoon system kind of at first base with Zimmerman. And when Howie Kendrick's not spelling somebody at second base, he can play first base. But they also went out and they got... Eric Thames in the off season. Eric Eric was a guy who you know doesn't hit for a lot of average, but he does provide power. So that'll be big for the Nats coming off the bench. Uh, and and now he's with the team uh, that he lost to last year when he was with the Brewers in that wild card game at Nationals Park. So uh, I, I think I think that there's enough depth there to cover it. Now, how do you cover it? You know, how, how do you make up for 35 homers and 129 RBI? You, you, you wind up hoping that you get significant contributions out of everybody, you know, who's in the lineup that day. You know, in other words, if Eric Names and Ryan Zimmerman split time at first base, between the two of them, if they're healthy and they can stay that way, you could get a combined 30 to 35 out of both of those guys with maybe 100 RBI. If that happens, well, that's one position you've solidified with two people. That's what they're kind of hoping to do with the loss of Rendon is to try to mix and match it. And Davey Martinez is pretty good at at keeping that clubhouse on an even keel, so I don't think you're going to have that problem as far as playing time and anything like that.
1: Well, I do think that that's exactly what they're trying to do in having uh, Thames and Zimmerman over at first base now. Me personally, Craig, I am not the biggest believer in Eric Thames. I'm not a big fan of a guy that hits two
3: twenty. But, but you, you don't have you don't have to be because you, you don't have to be because here's a guy that, uh, in my estimation, if he's playing part time, if you get what you want to get out of him part time, and he's certainly proven that in other places that he has been. Uh, whether it be Detroit, whether it be, you know, Milwaukee. Uh, I, I think there's a potential there for him to provide the Nationals exactly what they're looking for out of him.
1: All right, and I, th- I think you're right there. But do you think, I, I, I think that Zimmerman, what I was trying to say, is that Zimmerman, I think, is a better player if he can stay healthy. Now, do you think oh, there's there's...
3: there's... No question. there's no question about it. But you, you even hear in talking to Dave Martinez and maybe even Mike Rizzo to some degree, they're talking about if, you know, people have asked them if Zimmerman stays healthy, what are you looking at? And, uh, you know, I've heard, you know, 3 to 350 at-bats. Well, to me, if Ryan Zimmerman's healthy and you can get 450 at-bats out of him, that's the way I'm going to go, but I'm not Dave Martinez.
1: I agree. I, I, I agree. For, for me, I would I would much rather see Ryan Zimmerman playing – Two Out of every three games over there at first base and getting those 450 at bats, but I see where they're coming from because if you split the time evenly between the two players, you're much more likely to keep Zimmerman healthy, and that's a guy you want hitting in the middle of your lineup down the stretch, if you ask me.
2: Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So, let me ask a question: uh, Vegas has Washington at 80 over/under for wins/losses, 89, <clears throat> 89 and a half. Do you see them uh, over or under?
3: I'd probably go over by a couple of games, maybe 91, something with, something like what they did last year. This division is so good that everybody's, you know, when you play each other 19 times apiece, then uh, there's going to be a lot of beating up on one one another. And the reason they were able to do so well last year, you take a look at what they did against the Phillies and, and their record against Philadelphia last year, and also... Uh, their record against the Marlins last year, that was where they made their hay and their run toward the making a wild card and getting into the postseason. So, uh, again, it's going to be a, it's going to be a wild, wild ride this year, I think. And I think it's going to be a four team race where either one of four can win it. And uh, if I'll tell you what, if the Mets pitching staff can hold up and stay healthy and really you look at it down through the years, the last three or four years, that's been their downfall: the fact that their pitching staff have not been able to stay healthy.
1: Well, I do think that the Mets, if that pitching staff can stay healthy, if Sospedas can stay healthy in the lineup, you know, with um, McNeil and Conforto in that lineup as well, I think that they could be a a, a sleeper to contend for that AL to that the that NL East crown, along with the Braves, who are I think the favorite right now. The question with the Nationals is that bullpen, and that bullpen was historically bad last well, year.
3: That's true, but they went out. They went out and solidified that bullpen quite a bit this year. So, you know, they they brought Daniel Hudson back. So you've got kind of a like a two headed a two headed monster with with Sean Doolittle closing games. But uh, I, I think there's depending on who wins the fifth starter spot, you could have Austin Both out there. You could have uh, Eric Fetty out there. I think Joe Ross is going to win that fifth starter spot, at least the way it looks right now. Uh, You know, barring any kind of weird, you know, injury to Joe. And that's been Joe's problem too. He hadn't been able to stay healthy throughout his early career. So uh, I think, I think there's enough there in the bullpen. Uh, uh, I know Strickland got lit up a little bit yesterday, but uh, again, that's going to happen in spring training when you're working on things, but we'll see what happens. But I, I, I think they went out and they solidified the bullpen. Uh, Rowan Estelius is going to come back, and I think provide some some added depth on the left hand side. Uh, you know, the, the thing you worry about there though is, uh, you know, his splits were actually better right handed than it was left handed, and that's who they got him to get people out. Well, you're going to have to worry less about that now because of the the three batter minimum. So. It's it, a lot of it. Before we can determine how good or bad that bullpen is going to be, we're going to have to see how they perform in that situation when Davey Martinez can only use guys for a certain amount of time.
2: So the Orioles go back one quick question on the Orioles. Orioles are fifty-six and a half over/under. They over? They uh, under? I,
3: I think I think they
2: go over this year.
1: Yeah, I, I think the Orioles have a, have a few more wins in their back pocket than people think. I don't think that they're going to yeah. win seventy five games, but I could see them not losing a hundred this year, which would be nice for the second year of the rebuild. Uh, yeah, hey, Craig, I'm, I'm, we, go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: No, I was going to say I agree with you, and I think what I'm really interested to see, and I'm not ready to hop on a on a Chris Davis bandwagon here at all. But the numbers and the and the and the approach and everything we see in spring training has been really good. Uh, you know, obviously the contract is the big albatross. So you're thinking to yourself, well, if he performs well in the first half of the season, is that a situation the Orioles can take advantage of and maybe work out a deal by the trade deadline? You know, if he if he's producing and things of that nature. But when you, when when other teams have to worry about taking on a contract like that or even part of that contract, uh, that's an issue. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, what the Orioles do with him this year, and just. If, if they do decide to trade him, just how much of that salary they wind up eating?
1: I personally think that uh, trading Chris Davis, even if he gets off to a miraculous start, I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. I think that that people are going to have are going to have to see him do it for you know a season, uh-huh. a season and a half before they're willing to take on any part of his contract.
3: Well, we'll wait and see. I, I, I you know, that that again, like I said, it's the big albatross in the room.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if he's hot through the All Star break. And there are teams around the All-Star break that are looking at possibly making a run. Uh, he could be a viable trade bait th- at that point. Uh, and, but it will come down. Orioles are going to eat a lot of the contract. And other teams. No, not, there's uh, no question uh, about yeah. that. Yeah, so, But the, he, he could be moved. But it's going to come down to financially what the Orioles end up being responsible for.
1: Yeah. So, hey, Craig, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show uh, and helping us out this week without you or Stan in studio. Are we going to be seeing you in studio next week?
3: I don't know just yet. It's More more than likely, yes. And then the, the following week, I won't be there.
1: Okay, and I, I think Stan's going to be out the following week too, so Miles and I might yeah. be right back in here in two weeks. So, Craig, thanks so much for joining the show. Looking forward to seeing that beautiful face of yours uh, <laughs> next Saturday. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right?
3: All right, and sometime between now and then, go see a optometrist. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. You have a good day, man. Take All right. I'll see you later. Bye. See
2: the battle round is presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Real barbecue an amazing selection of whiskey and micro brews. When you come to Blue Pit Barbecue in Hamden, you get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area. All made fresh and smoked every day. Open for lunch and open late. Blue Pit is also great for parties and events. Go to BluePitBBQ.com. That's B-L-U-E-P-I-T-BBQ.com for menus and directions.
1: All right, and you know, so nice of Stan and Craig to let us call them and get them on the show to kind of help us out. You know, you and I have never hosted this show before, so it's nice to have those guys kind of let us lean on them a little bit. And so far, I feel like the show is going pretty well. And we have another guest who's going to help us make this show even better, and that is the Miley correspondent for Orioles Hangout, Eric Garfield. Eric, how are you today, man?
8: Good. Happy Saturday,
1: Paul. Happy Saturday to you, too. Thanks for joining the show today. Now, you've been spending a lot of your time at the Orioles Minor League Complex at Twin Lakes Park. How are things going over there? What are you seeing, and what are you liking over there at the Minor League Complex?
8: I'm liking everything. I'm actually here at the complex right now. Uh, I guess to, to summarize briefly, I would say a lot of hunger from the players, uh, eagerness from the coach, and uh, a realization that there's a lot of available opportunities above them. So guys playing for spots.
1: Well, yeah, I, I think that there is a lot of opportunity with the Orioles, especially since the ball club is coming off two straight 100 loss seasons, and they're in a full-scale rebuild right now, and we all know... That this rebuild is going to happen based around that young pitching talent that the Orioles have at the lower levels of the minor league and some at the upper levels right now. Um, everybody talks about DL Hall and they talk about Grayson Rodriguez and rightfully so. But you and I spoke a little bit last night about another pitcher who's not getting a lot of play right now in the media, and that's Michael Ballman. And this is a guy who went up to who got a, promoted to Bowie last year, absolutely dominated, including a 96 pitch. A uh, complete game no hitter back in July. What are you seeing from Michael Ballman, and tell me why you're so excited about him?
8: Uh, like a lot of the other guys, Paul, I see focus. He's a little bit bigger, uh, not overly muscular, just thicker. Like maybe a build that's uh, more prepared for a larger innings load. Uh, you know, those are all nice, but it's what happens when the ball comes out of his hand. He's got a lot of control. He's got a lot of movement in different directions and with different types of spins. But when he puts the heat on, it's about 95, 96 with low effort. So, you know, it's a big body, the, the stuff, he's 25 years old, plus the pedigree and the experience you just mentioned. For me, he's really on par with some of those larger names. And it's my job to let fans know, you know, Michael Bauman's good and, and he's coming. Well,
2: you, you mentioned that his ball has some movement. How about his fastball? If he's up around 95, 96, 97, does his fastball have movement, and can he can he does he have control over it? Because we've seen pitchers come up and they've been in at 95, 96, 97, but their fastball's flat. And major league major league hitter will will catch up to that pretty quick. Where a minor league hitter may not, if that fastball's got some action to it. Uh, That sometimes separates the men from the boys. Does his move?
8: Okay. uh, I like that question very much. and I can give you a, a very specific answer. From what I've seen in the bullpens and the simulated game situations, he probably today has more control over what breaks than where his true heat ends up. But it's very, very early in camp. The weather hasn't been that warm. I'm not seeing a lot of fastballs used or controlled. And in fact, he threw one that probably seemed like his second or third fastest one in the simulated game. And John uh, Carlos and Carnación hit it about 380 feet opposite field for the game's uh, only home run. So, you know, exactly what you said happened. It was good, but it probably was not exactly where he wanted it to be. And it got smacked.
0: Well,
1: yeah, and I think that that's something that you're going to tend to tend to see happen, uh, especially with some younger minor league players. These are guys who, you know, they, they've they've had success at every level their entire lives, and they feel like they can throw their fastball by anybody. And then you meet up with some players like like you mentioned, the JC Encarnacion, and that's a guy who, you know, he's still got he's still raw, but that, that he's got some power, and that's going to make a guy, you know, second guess whether or not he wants to try and challenge somebody with a heater.
8: Uh, well, you know, Bauman's got a lot of pitches. He's got a lot of ways to get guys out. He just didn't get it past Encarnacion that particular time. So well, he's got an arsenal and he's learning, how, he's learning how to use it. But I, I would love if he learned how to use it against guys that were a little bit better than AA. So maybe, maybe he will. But he should be mentioned with names like Grace and DL and, and Hall. That's well, that's my take on Mike Bauman.
1: Well, yeah, and absolutely. And everybody's gonna make a mistake at at every level. I mean, you saw uh Noah, Noah Syndergaard go down to um in, in a rehab start last year, give up a home run to Zach Watson, who had just gotten drafted that year. So I mean it's gonna happen to every pitcher no matter what level they're at. Now speaking of pitchers, the Orioles traded away one of their workhorses in the offseason. They traded Dylan Bundy uh, to the Angels in exchange for four pitchers, Isaac Matson, Kyle Bradish, Kyle Bernovich, and Zach Peake. And when you and I spoke last night, you were kind of excited about some of these guys, namely Isaac Matson, who I think has an opportunity to maybe make an impact in the Orioles' bullpen at some point this season.
8: Yeah, Paul, I think that's uh, a reasonable opinion. And uh, from what I've seen, the stuff probably makes you seem a little bit writer than you are. He's got guys, you know. He can. He, he's got pitches to set guys up to dictate counts, and then to put them out and strike them out, especially a finishing type of curveball. He threw, started high and out, and ended up low and in. And it was the pitch in the simulated game that really got the most reaction from from the players on both dugouts. But overall, I think that the trade was made to increase competition in the minor league system. I don't know if the guys will make it to the bigs. They are somewhat exciting, but they will definitely push starters at different levels and make pitchers have to try harder to beat them. Bernavich profiles as just a guy who's going for strikeouts. Peek, I really haven't seen that much of. He's got a hingeless delivery, very fluid, and uh, uh, Bradish, his best pitch is kind of like a Chris Tillman... Style curveball that starts its break right off his fingers, and he's like six four two. So he's given hitters uh, frustrating at-bats, and for right now, you know, they're so early in their pro careers, that's kind of like where, where they should be. I think that Dylan Bundy probably will do good, but for the intent that the Orioles had when they made the trade, I think it's already starting to, to happen very much. And in fact, I just saw, just now on the mound, the uh, player that they traded Jonathan VR for from the Marlins, Easton Lucas. It's the first time I've seen him. He looks pretty good. So some of these trades were made with with the future in mind, and they're starting to come around and look like they were the, the smart
2: deals to make. Well, they all have a couple of years to get there. This is Absolutely. this year's not going to be the year. Next year's not going to be the year. Maybe nope. the year after they start to get there. So a lot of these guys will have the op- I think are going to have opportunities. Uh, to get at least a cup of coffee if they don't get called up before they're at least going to some of them are going to see action in September when you have call-ups but I really think some of them are going to get there and get chances as guys get hurt and different things happen and rain outs and you know where the rotations get messed up and you got to get guys up and down we're going to see some of these guys get opportunities and it's going to be up to them to make the best of it.
8: I totally agree. There's other names, too, guys that even, you know, fans that, that study hard might not know. Guys like Gray Fenter, great breaking ball, excellent breaking ball. I think the organization likes uh, Houston Roth. They like Cody Sedlock, who's come back from uh, injury and changed his body uh, very much. Sedlock is really, really, really big and muscular. But yeah, you're right. Some of these guys are going to get opportunities that if you look today, they might seem a little bit further away than, than they actually are. That's very reasonable.
1: Well, then you look at a guy like Cody Sedlock, and he was a first-round draft pick in 2016. He had some injuries that plagued him, and then when he came back from the injuries, he didn't pitch too well. Uh, came back last year and had a really nice bounce-back season, but he's lost quite a few ticks off of his fastball. Do, uh, has his fastball looked a little bit livelier now that he's put on some extra muscle and changed his body composition uh, in the offseason? What are you seeing from him?
8: Uh, actually, there were scouts. With uh, guns when he was pitching, and I was curious because of what you just said, and uh, like I said, it's very very early. This really was the first game type situation, and his fastball was 90 at the fastest. Yeah, it's uh, 90. Uh, that's not gonna light. cut the mustard. No,
2: nah, that's pretty light. I mean, that's a that's a curveball. And on his fastball was
8: not really, you know, what's the t- like. Plane changing or really like twelve to six style. Uh, he got results. He did. He did well. His inning was three up, three down. But his pitches were not as juicy as other guys. But the organization is pretty high on him. They they went uh start DL Hall, then Grayson Rodriguez, then Bauman, then Sedlock was fourth.
1: Well, from what I was reading, it seems like they actually might be viewing Sedlock as a swingman type of. Uh, Type of asset coming out of the bullpen is that what you're thinking too, or do you see him as still having a shot at cracking a major league rotation at some point?
8: I, I would, I really am not the person to ask, but I can tell you if you know if you're looking at like whose body is built for an innings load. Cody Sedlock has gained a significant amount of muscle and is a larger person overall. I saw him when he first got drafted in 2015, and he didn't look like an NFL tight end in a tank top, but now he does. Yeah.
2: And, you know, Orioles are going to need guys that give innings because there are going to be a lot of those uh, games where guys are going to need to come in by the second or third inning and just get, I think like Stan was saying earlier, to get us from the third inning to the sixth inning. And I, I, they're going to need just guys that can log innings without, without without arm injuries. And they're going to need that out of these um, middle relief guys. How about some of the? How about some of that batters? I know Rushman is now back in the minor. You know, should be showing up there, and uh, Mountcastle, I guess, is still uh, you know on the on the major league side. But have you seen any 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 of the any hitters that may eventually look like they could push their way into the major league roster?
8: The best hitter in camp is probably the best player that I've seen overall. That's Gunnar Henderson. He's eighteen. So he's really far away, but in skills and separation from his peers, it's not—it's uh, not a question uh, at all of what he's capable of. Really, the only question is how high is his is his ceiling. Uh, other guys that have been impressive, and Carnacion really has shown a lot of pop and a lot of drive. His balls travel far, and they have lost. Uh, the hottest hitter is probably uh, another JCE uh, lefty cornerman from Keys last year, JC Iskara. He's been on everything. He uh, they had a v- exit velocity contest yesterday. He just happened to hit a home run on his hardest hit ball, so that's a good sign. He's a kind of a high on base, high walk type player, so a little bit of pop could really like make his career. So he's actually been swinging the best bat, but uh. Uh, Gunner, uh, shortstop prospect, very recent draft pick, Joey Ortiz, really hits it very hard and very far for a not large person. So there's been a lot of offense ups and downs, but those are kind of like the the hitter names that have stood out to me. Also, outfielder Mason, Mason Janvrin, he's hit it far. He can run fast while the ball's in the air. So he's shown some good offensive skill to, to start off with. He's very, very young also.
1: Well, you look at the Orioles as an organization, and they're kind of thin in the infield. Um, and you mentioned Joey Ortiz. Uh, between him and uh, Darrell Hernandez, um, you said that you, you had told me that you feel like there's going to be a really strong competition between the two of those guys. Um, what makes you say that, and you know, what, what, what are you seeing from that competition between those two players?
8: Okay, I'm glad you asked, Paul. I definitely hear a lot about... Uh fans criticizing the system, there's not enough uh, infield prospects that really can make an impact, and definitely not near the top, and I probably am inclined to agree with that, but I don't want people to ignore the names that you just said, Daryl Hernandez and Joey Ortiz that were drafted last year. You know, They're very, very young in their professional careers, but I saw good performances at Aberdeen from Ortiz and excellent performance from uh, Daryl at the Gulf Coast League last year. They've already grown in a lot of ways since then, so that's a good sign. But they're already showing a lot of baseball talent, a lot of drive with the ball. Both of them have excellent pivot skills, and Ortiz on a relay drill, you know, catching it from the outfield and turning around and throwing it to home, you know, he had the fastest time, the fastest pivot, and the fastest throw. So these are the things you want to look at for an infield prospect. You know, you don't want to say their hands are too slow, they turn too slow, They're already showing that that's not a concern with them, and then with the bat, they've gotten a lot better at driving and putting the ball where they want to put it since the first time I saw them last year, and they were pretty good last year. So the the already, you know, shifting out of first gear into second gear as far as their development is really a good sign. And if you don't, you know, if you don't like Mason McCoy at the top, I you know, I, I understand why you would or why you wouldn't. It's somewhat polarizing, but just don't ignore the guys that are hungry and uh, several lower levels lower today.
2: Hey, today we are broadcasting live from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. So, so what do you, so all these all these potential players that the Orioles have in the minor leagues? We've got you know we were. We, Pretty high on a guy like Gunnar Henderson getting there, probably to the majors in 2023. Maybe uh, we see Rushman at the end of this year. Maybe next year. Um, so you haven't seen you haven't seen Rushman yet in the minor league camp. He just got will be getting there yesterday or today.
8: He uh, uh, I don't think he's here. Uh, I don't think he's here today. Day. He could be, you know, they, they have morning and afternoon, so I, he could be here in the afternoon, or they could give him a, a day off. Catchers in this camp are a lot closer to labor than uh, stars who are shown off. There's so many pitchers, so they really try to get the catchers' drills out of the way and their cage work out of the way in the morning so they can basically squat and catch bullpens and mound sessions all day. I don't know if the organization wants to do that to Adley, you know, 24 hours after he stopped being at Major League camp, they might just rest him for a couple days because these guys are getting worked. And they're getting hurt already, too.
2: How many guys? Who's hurt? uh, I don't
8: know if you would know this guy. Uh, Jordan Cannon caught at high A last year. He's a slugger and a very cerebral uh, pitch framer. I saw him in shorts the other day. And, I, you know, I just said, you know, what's up? What are you doing? He's like, it's already right here, flexor. So, so two days after that, they had like five or six more catchers. And then two days after that, it was their catcher's official report date. So now they have like a group of, I guess, eight to
4: 12.
8: So I don't even know if they need, you know, more strain on, on Adley's body before, you know, several hundred at-bat season is about to begin.
1: Well, and you—you you were talking about—we're talking about Adley Rutschman as is a catcher. You're talking about Cannon, who is a catcher who just got injured. Um, what can you say about Brett Cumberland? Uh, this was an interesting catcher that came over in a trade yep. uh, the other the other year. And when you and I spoke the other day, you seemed very excited about him. He, you said that he's looked to improved. He, he's looked to improved, improved his game in every facet uh, over the offseason. and from what it sounds like, he's having a strong camp.
8: Uh, I didn't exactly hear the end. Oh, yeah, sorry. There was, there was, there was a little bit of wind about, on your about, end there.
1: From, about, what, from what you said, ahead. it sounds like he's having a strong showing out there at Twin Lakes Park uh, in the early going here in spring training.
8: That's absolutely what I said, and he is a very impressive player. Uh, he's not a big dude. He's not a tall guy, but he's an excellent lower-body athlete. In the crouch, he does not move. His body, when he moves his gloves, so the Orioles catching instructors really love that. And with a bat in his hand, he's not trying to walk. He's not trying to work a count like a, a catcher would. He's trying to swing. He's lefty, and he pulls it, and he has serious pop. So a guy that people just don't think about, He's already two, he's only two levels below the majors, and he's showing the instructors and me a lot of skill. It looks to me, you know, these are the guys that end up as maybe backups that a bounce here and a bounce there. You might have a starting role, so I would in no way be shocked to see. You know, he's twenty-five. I'd be in no way shocked to see in the next handful of years him get a major league opportunity, and it would you know it would be exciting because people don't think about the Orioles traded Kevin Gossman five years ago to get it.
1: Right, well, and you know, you look at a guy like Pedro Severino. I don't know that he factors into the Orioles' um, long-term plans. And I think he's established himself, or is establishing himself as a major league catcher. I don't think Chan Sisko necessarily has a defensive pedigree to stick at catcher at the major league level. So once Adley Rutschman gets to the majors, he's going to need a backup, and
8: it sounds like Brett Cumberland could be the guy for the job. I think uh, the... the the audition for Adley's one-day backup is going to include a few guys with more baseball skills than fans realize today, and uh, it would be nice if Cumberland was, was in that competition because I see him as someone who's eligible, kind of like uh, an Austin Williams awesome five years younger.
2: What happened to Chan Cisco? He seemed to, like a couple years ago, be the guy that was destined to be the Orioles' Uh long-term catcher, and then he was always, like Paul said, he was always a, a really good offensive guy. He wasn't great defensively, but it just seemed like he even, I'm not, even in spring training right now, he doesn't seem to be earning that, earning that spot yet. As, even as backup.
8: I guess, I, for someone that really doesn't know, I can give you an excellent answer. He did not develop, and that's in a lot of, you know, that's, that's kind of like metaphorical for the Orioles as a whole. And those type of players, as, as much as Cisco brings something to the table, I don't think the organization is going to be satisfied with guys just not developing at all and not being a little bit better than when they were brought into the club. So That's kind of why I'm here, and that's really what, what I'm watching. I do a notebook every single day over at Orioles Hangout, but development is happening. It's right in front of my face. And for someone like Cisco, I just think they gave him a lot of opportunities. Show something, bring something, improve something. And as much as he kind of grew in his game, it just it just wasn't enough. Like you said, to be a factor at the major league level. And from what I'm seeing right now, that's you know that's that's old. That's not how, that's not how it is now. It's young and hungry and wanting to grow.
1: Well, hey Eric, we certainly appreciate you coming on our show today and talking a little bit about some of the Orioles minor league prospects. I think that you could have probably gotten some fans excited about Gun- Gunnar Henderson. It sounds like he's really showing to be worth that that overslot money that he got in that first pick in the in the second round. We got a run. Are right. We we got to run, but we really do appreciate you coming on the show, and hopefully we'll be talking to you again uh, as the season moves along.
8: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, glad to spread the good news, and I'm uh, available whenever you guys are. Glad to do it. Very uh, glad.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. You have a great day. Same to you. Later, guys. See you. And once again, that was Eric Garfield of the minor league correspondent of Orioles Hangout, joining the show and talking to us a little bit about some Orioles prospects. We got Bill Ladson coming up on the show after the break. Uh, but until then, when it comes to dining out casually and affordably, I know a place that is special every season. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. Not only are they known for all for, all over for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes, they have a couple of specials you want to keep in mind. Monday night is crab cake night. Tuesday night is ribs night. Wednesday night is steak night. Partner with half-priced bottles of your favorite wines. And Thursday night is lobster night. Sounds pretty good to me, Miles. So check out the Costas Inn uh, this baseball season, and you may come back for whatever whatever reason, whatever the season. That's the Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard at 410-477-1975. That is 410-477-1975. Real barbecue and an amazing selection of whiskey and micro brews. When you come to Blue Pit Barbecue in Hamden, you get the cool atmosphere and the best barbecue in the area. All made fresh and smoked every day. Open for lunch and open late. Blue Pit is also great for parties and events. Go to PitBarbecue.com for menus and directions. That's BluePitBBQ.com. We'll have Bill Ladson after the break.
0: Okay, I'm getting an Italian cold cut with oil and vinegar. Turkey
7: and Swiss with extra mayo for me. And I want a ham and cheese with everything. Before we go to the game, we go to Royal Farms. It's not football without a Royal Farms sub. At Royal
0: Farms, it's all fresh and delicious. In this town, you don't tailgate with a hoagie, you tailgate with a Royal Farms sub and world famous chicken. Royal Farms. Real fresh, real fast, real Baltimore.
6: Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-priced bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out costazen.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere
7: the latest edition of press box is available now on the cover bill Ordine dives into the future of sports betting here in Maryland with the push for legalization having already played out in neighboring states plus our annual college lacrosse outlook as we get to know the area's top men's and women's players including Johns Hopkins Joey Epstein and Maryland's Brindy Griffin press box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores you can also find the entire edition Baltimore's favorite bar is
0: just 771 feet from home plate. Slider's Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Terps and Caps season, with all the games on dozens of TVs. Slider's daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more, with different drink specials every day of the week, including Fancy Clancy Pilsner. Find out about all the parties and get info on having your own party or company event at slidersbaltimore.com. Slider's,
7: one of Baltimore's original, continuously operating bars. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, voted best sports bar 18 times, where we have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Enjoy $6.99 burgers on Mondays, 5 dollars nachos on Thursdays, and other food and drink specials throughout every season to help you cheer on your favorite teams. Come in today and try something new
5: from our seasonal menu. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. He
0: is Mr. Trey Mancini. Thanks
8: for having me on, guys. Glad to uh, be back on.
0: Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? He is Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. You bet, guys. How you guys doing? Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. Jalen Stick Smith. Thanks for having me The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be. On. He is the great Ticky V, Dick Vitale. Kyle? Two
5: diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going hey. on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash Sports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio.
2: Okay, we are back from the live casino hotel studio paul valley and myself miles goodman talking oriole baseball we're 19 days away from opening day of the baltimore orioles 2020 season and it's some uh some some changes are happening we kind of got excited we're listening to things like uh gunner henderson and different guys that might have a chance to make the major league roster at some point in the future and we're uh it's hard, you know, if you can't be excited at this time of the year, even, even when uh, you're projected to win 56-and-a-half games, there's, you can't be excited at any time of the year. And 8-and-5, Chris Davis with three home runs. Uh, Orioles looking like maybe they've got a little bit of life in them, so we'll, we'll see how it goes once they get there. Uh, there was some interesting conversation earlier about uh, opening day and uh, – with the coronavirus and will there have be any impact uh on the opening day crowd and just to see how things like that end up uh impacting oriole baseball moving forward so there are there are lots of things to uh lots of things to to think about basically on to do with baseball and just things that are happening in our world around us right now
1: well yeah and you know we're supposed to have Bill Ladson on the line right now. I can't seem to get in contact with him. I'm going to try again here in a couple of minutes. But I agree with you. You know it's uh, hope springs eternal in spring Absolutely. training, right? And even a team like the Orioles, who you mentioned to me during the break, are 500 to one uh, to to win the AL East, which is the worst number in all of baseball, and that's that's including teams like the Marlins and the Detroit Tigers, but the Orioles do have some young guys that we could be seeing on the Major League roster, uh, like Ryan Mountcastle, who could be up by early to mid-May, and then guys like Keegan Aiken, if he doesn't make the rotation out of spring training, uh, and a guy like Dean Kramer, who everybody's excited about, coming over from that Manny Machado trade, Neil Diaz, who was the centerpiece of that trade. These are guys who could be at the Major League level the second half of the season, and fuse some youth and some energy into this ball club
2: actually I wanted to ask Eric about Diaz and I kind of forgot about that but I think he was an interesting guy to get some comments on Uh, they're just I look at it always but you're getting into spring training you're 19 days from the the opener no we're not winning the division but just if we can see some hope, win 70 games, win 68, avoid losing the 100. Yeah, we're 500-1 to, to to even to make a run at the AL East. Uh, you just have to sort of embrace what it is. Know we're in the second year of a major rebuild. And maybe, maybe next year is the year then with some of this youth that they get to 80 wins. They get to 80 wins next year you know the following year then they're going to be a force to be reckoned with and and they're going to be able to make a run and it'll bring some real excitement back to Oriole Park at Camden Yards and that that's what you hope for. I mean that's what you go to the games for, that's what you follow it for. But you know now we just we know it's it's a rebuild, but it's exciting to see some of these guys coming up that have potential and can turn around and and bring some life and You have these transitions. If you're a normal team, you have these transitions every five to ten years where the new blood comes in. Not everybody has the deep pockets of the Yankees and the Red Sox where you just keep going to the well and and bringing in more and more free agents.
1: Well, right. And for the Orioles, it wouldn't be pertinent to have deep pockets at this point in the the rebuild. And, you know, you look at the Orioles' lineup – as it stands right now, and you're going to have, I, and I and I, I, wrote a piece about this for Utah Street Report that just came out the other day, a shameless self-plug there, <laughs> um, about the Orioles' outfield. And they're going to have, now look, they had 11 guys start in left field last year. They had eight guys in center and nine guys in right field. No other position other than pitcher had more than six players play the position so the outfield was definitely in a state of flux last year but then Anthony Santander came in uh, June 7th and took over in in the lineup and in the outfield. He mostly played left field, a little bit of right field. Trey Mancini had 35 home runs and 38 doubles playing right field last year. Austin Hayes comes in and hits 309 in 21 games playing center field in September. This outfield could be extremely productive this year and something for Orioles to get excited about.
2: I would like to see Mancini eventually get back to his natural position and become a first baseman and open up another outfield position. But if Chris Davis, if this isn't a mirage and he can actually produce, then it's okay to keep Mancini out there. But I would like to see Mancini uh, uh, eventually go back to first base, open up an outfield position for one of these other young guys coming up and see that kind of that roadblock. But if Davis is playing well he needs he needs to stay there and Mancini was ridiculously productive in the outfield and and he's not a true like you would think sometimes when you move an outfielder in or an infielder into the outfield there they become a liability and he hasn't really been a liability in the outfield he's been productive he's got some assists he's made some nice plays so keeping him out there doesn't hurt the team right now but i would like to see him in his natural spot
5: one day. Well,
1: yeah, and, and you'd like to have a better defensive player yeah. out there. But he holds his own. He's not yeah. he's not killing you. He's catching all the balls that are hit to him. He's better than Mark Trumbo was <laughs> out right. out in right field. Me or you
2: could be better, I think, than Mark Trumbo. Oh, well, that's uh, in the yeah. Not as a hitter, but in the outfield. Oh, yeah, prob- probably.
1: Yeah. You know, he left a lot to be desired. The thing about Mancini is you mentioned Chris Davis. And Chris Davis, when we talked to Craig that he said that's the albatross in the room – Look, if he has a productive year, again, I don't think anybody's going to trade for Chris Davis unless the unless the Orioles are still willing to eat most of that contract. He's but if he has a productive year, then you're looking at Mancini staying in right field. And if Mancini's staying in right field, that means that Santander is staying in left field, which means that Ryan Mountcastle is probably staying at the minor league level a little bit longer because Renato Nunez is getting the... the at-bats at DH right now, and they don't want Mountcastle at 22, 23 years old in the first stages of his big league career to already not have a position. Now, he has to be able to uh, prove that he can play left field, that he can play first base, and from what I've seen this spring, he's played well, but as long as Chris Davis is in this lineup and producing, you're going to see Ryan Mountcastle at the minor league level a lot longer than people think, unless... Renato Nunez gets off to a slow start, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. Because in my opinion, he's a, an all-or-nothing hitter; doesn't hit for high
2: average. Right. You can't you can't have, you can't carry multiple first basemen on your roster and just put them in different positions because you're going to suffer defensively. And this wasn't a great defensive team last year, which actually was part of the major disappointment of last year. Was not only did they not pitch well, not hit well. They also didn't field well, and if you're going to be in a rebuild, and you look at the blueprint to be a solid team, you, you have to field well, and you got to be strong up the middle. You got to be strong at that catcher, short, second, center field. They're starting, and they and that was that's one of the problems with uh, Cisco. You know, he doesn't give you that strength up the middle. If he could hit, if he was hitting, then you might be able to overlook it a little bit. But they have the the. Again, this is a time where just everything on the roster is open, and with with Mountcastle, I I just am really torn about. Like sometimes, like we were talking off the air before about uh, Manny Machado. Manny Machado spent very little time in the in the minor leagues and came up and was an immediate impact and a force on, for the Orioles and at the major league level. And some so it's hard to decide how it's it's hard to know. And I guess you have to be the manager to decide, you know, look at it and see which player is ready. Which player has that mental aptitude to be able to step in and become a productive major leaguer right from the beginning. And which guys need more time in the minor leagues to develop those skills. Mountcastle looks like he's got the skills that he's ready. But also, do you want to bring him up now and lose... Uh, I guess arbitration time you know, his contract he get, time it,
1: By bringing him up a month into the season at the earliest they're getting a 7th year of team right. control basically and when you're in a rebuild there's no reason to force the start of his service clock just to get him up at the Major League level uh, Mountcastle, now look, this is a guy who's bat, is Major League ready he, the, people would like him to have more plate discipline, cut down the strikeouts and you know, up, up his walk totals, but I look at it, and I look at a guy like—and look, I'm not saying that he's this guy, right? But I look at a guy like Vladimir Guerrero, who made a Hall of Fame career out of being a free swinger. I mean, that guy, I saw him hit get get a base hit against the Orioles on a pitch that bounced in front of the plate that he swung at and got a base hit on. So, and Adam Jones. Adam Jones, who is arguably the greatest outfielder in the history of the, or, history of the Orioles, not named Frank Robinson— And he made a career out of being a free swinger. He was a 30-homer, 100-RBI guy during those prime playoff years from 2012 to 2016 for the Orioles. So you can be a free swinger and make it at at the Major League level. We just gave a couple of examples there. And Mountcastle, look, he wasn't drafted for his glove and his arm, right? This is a guy, he was drafted for the bat. And he's hit at every professional level. It only makes sense, in my opinion, that he would continue to progress. He became a better hitter, uh, as far as average, home runs, RBI, slugging percentage, at Triple A, which was the highest level. And at 22 years old, there's no reason to think he won't do that at the major league level. It's just a matter of when. Not if. Yeah, I
2: wouldn't take the aggressiveness away from him. I, I and when people used to criticize Adam Jones for being too aggressive and swinging at bad pitches, but that's what makes you a successful hitter is the aggressiveness. If, and and I think part of uh, Chris Davis' regression as a hitter, even though he's got a good eye and he gets a lot of walks, I think part of why I think part of why he struggles sometimes is because he becomes kind of passive he doesn't he's not aggressive at the plate he's he's trying to work the count and that's why you see him get called. you know the the called strike three so often uh, just you I would not change Mountcastle's approach be a being aggressive be aggressive free swinger uh you'll you'll live or die by it but I trying to change a guy's approach as a batter like that and say you know what now we don't want you to strike out 150 times. We want you to strike out 120 times, 100 times, uh, and, and make him a more passive, work the count. If that's not what you're accustomed to doing, that's going to that's gonna reset him as a batter. I'd rather see him come to the major league, swing away, uh, learn it while he's up, you know, if it's next year or if it's later this year. Bring that aggressiveness to the table, and let's see how it goes.
1: Well, and not to mention the fact that when he gets to the Major League level, he's going to have better coaching than he had yeah. at any other level, and that alone is probably going to make him a, a better hitter. Now, look, this is a guy who's who's fresh off an MVP season in the International League as the youngest player in in that league at 22 years old so there's gonna be some growing pains he's gonna get to the major league level and he's gonna have his struggles i look back at nick markakis in in 2006 when he really slow it, start really slow start and he he was hitting like 210 through like may and people were wondering did they bring him up too soon because if you remember he had a monster spring and um he had a monster spring, and then wasn't able to. You know what? I'm you gonna get g- I'm, I'm well, gonna get that. You,
2: you say t- about uh, uh, Markakis? He had a slow start that year. It looked like uh, it looked like a lot of people wanted him to go back to the minor leagues. They thought that he had come up too early, and it turned out that uh, you know we saw what uh, Nick Markakis did, and I think uh, Mount Castle is is a good comparison there. I think he, to Nick Markakis, they're both young. Uh, they both are are aggressive hitters. they're so to to see, to it's just really a question of how soon do you want to introduce Mountcastle uh, onto a team that's maybe going to lose ninety five games. Maybe do you want to wait? Like even when Cal Ripken came up, when Ripken came up, the Orioles were. Were a solid, you know, they were a World Series contender, and you brought Cal up, and and he was kind of him and Murray then catapulted them over over the top. Uh, they're not there yet. Maybe they're going to be there in two years when and and then these guys like Mountcastle and Henderson and Diaz and make that significant enough contribution as rookies or first or second year guys, second or third year guys that then. Are able to push the Orioles, not maybe not into the World Series championship, but can get them into that wild card hunt, or even pushing whoever it is, the Yankees or the Rays, you know, for the for the division title, and they're not five hundred to one shots anymore.
1: Well, and and just to get back to my point about about Nick Markakis, that's a guy that was hitting in the low 200s through the first couple months of his rookie year. He ended that season on a tear. He hit over 290 his rookie year. He had a three-home run again, game against the Twins uh, in August of that season. He became one of the more productive hitters in that Orioles lineup for a really long time. You mentioned Cal Ripken. He came up, uh, got a, got his cup of coffee in '81, but in '82 he won Rookie of the Year. But he was in a dreadful yeah. slump first at, month. At, or yeah, first or two at months. one point. I think I think he was something like 0 for 34 or something like that. And Earl Weaver moved him from third base to shortstop, put him there, kept putting his name in the lineup, and then he goes out and wins Rookie of the Year. So there's growing pains for even Hall of Famers. Brady
2: Anderson was the same way, remember, when he came up with the – well, Orioles acquired him from Boston. And then when he broke in, it was Weaver, the same thing, said – don't worry about don't worry about the numbers. Just get out there and and play. And eventually, you could see he found his, he found a stride. He found his stroke. And uh, I think sometimes you just have to go with that and know it's baseball. If you if you're successful three out of ten times at the plate, you're an all-star. And and there's gonna be struggles where you go through those 0 for 12s, 0 for 20s. And it's how you respond. How you come back from those slumps? That it makes you into the better player, and a lot of these, and especially as a rookie, uh, young guys when they hit get into those hitting funks, it's it's hard to come out of because uh, you're trying to, you go from an 0 for 12, you're trying you're trying to get six hits in the next game, and you're only up four times. You they start trying too hard, they press too hard, too much pressure, and you you don't. There's no reason to have to force a guy in a rebuild to do that so i'm sort of i'm on the fence with got some of these guys seeing them come up now or is it good to hold you know back you know back it down a little bit we know we're not winning anything let's let's see how they progress in that first month or two at norfolk and before then bringing them up because there's going to be some injuries and we're going to need to bring some guys up to fill in so um I, i'm I'm just on the fence how you know and I, I I'm good with however they do it I just don't want to see them mess any of these guys up that look like they've got the potential to to be stars I mean some of these guys have potentials to be the potential to be absolute Adam Joneses, Cal Ripkins you know they they've got the potential. But it's all going to get back to pitching when we're going to. Well, of, yeah, the pitching is going yeah. to
1: run the show yeah. here. And Ryan Mountcastle, the best thing Ryan Mountcastle can do for Ryan Mountcastle is to go down to Norfolk and tear the cover off the ball for a month and prove that he's done all he needs to do down
2: there. Yeah, force his way back up. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to
1: hold this up right here for you. This is the latest edition of PressBox, and it's available now. On the cover, Bill Ordeen dives into the future of sports betting here in Maryland. With the push for legalization having already played out in neighboring states, Plus, our annual college lacrosse outlook, as we get to know the area's top men's and women's players, including Johns Hopkins' Joey Epstein and Maryland's Brindy Griffin. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farms stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And Miles... Once again, I want to mention that our good friends at Sliders Bar and Grill are having their 30th birthday party today
2: starting at 4 p.m. What are you doing today? Are you going to be able to get down to Sliders? I might. uh, You know, uh, not much to do today. Might be a good time to get down there. Well, they are featuring a free
1: buffet from 4 to 7 p.m. with drink specials and Fancy Clancy himself, the infamous one and only Fancy Clancy as a DJ. Sliders is located Right across the street from Camden Yards, just steps from home plate. I think it's just a long fly ball, like a 700 foot fly ball. I think yeah. that uh, Ryan Mountcastle might be able to get one out there at sliders <laughs> right sometime across, this year.
2: Right across the street. I remember when Fancy Clancy was at Memorial Stadium selling beer.
1: Yeah, he's he's definitely. You have to be pretty popular to be an usher for for Orioles games and have a beer named after yeah. you. So. All right, so we're going to go get a break right now. And then when we get back, Miles and I will be back in the live casino hotel studio to close things out here on the bat
5: If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find out on social media at u s army baltimore
7: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bill Ordine dives into the future of sports betting here in Maryland, with the push for legalization having already played out in neighboring states, plus our annual college lacrosse outlook as we get to know the area's top men's and women's players, including Johns Hopkins' Joey Epstein and Maryland's Brindy Griffin. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles Ravens and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com what has two premium cod fillets breaded
0: and cooked to tasty perfection and served on a toasted buttered bun with dill pickle chips. It's the Chick-fil-A Fish Sandwich and it's back at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. This also means that the fish strips and deluxe fish sandwich have resurfaced. Chick-fil-A Fish is the lightest, flakiest, tastiest fish you'll ever put in your mouth. If you're hosting or headed to a party, pre-order from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square Catering. Not only is it delicious and a fan favorite, but it smells amazing and it'll be ready when you are. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, call Steve if you want your party catered by Chick-fil-A, 410-931-0031. That's Chick-fil-A, Nottingham Square.
5: The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett
4: the Hitman Hart. good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man, thanks,
0: man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy,
4: Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure.
0: Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le Champion.
5: Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. <laughs>
1: and we're back here on the battle round coming from the live casino hotel studio it's paul valley being joined in studio today by miles goodman and i just want to apologize to our listeners we had some connecting difficulties with bill ladson and just weren't able to get him on the show by the time he called back there's only about five minutes left in our show so he will be back for his weekly segment next week sincerest apologies again and mile before miles before we get out of here I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Hall at Live Casino. You know them from their hits like that was a crazy game of poker and shattered. Well, now they're coming home. Maryland's own OAR headlines the Hall at Live at Live Casino Hotel on Saturday, March 14th. That's a week from today. That's close. Set your your calendars. As part of their spring tour, tickets start at 5049 for the show that starts at 8 p.m. This show is for ages 18 and up sorry kids also coming to the hall at live at live casino hotel adam sandler march 19th air supply april 3rd josh groban april 16th patty labelle may 2nd wu-tang clan may 8th jay leno performing may 15th the 1975 on may 29th alice cooper big show june 21st and gabrielle iglesias august 22nd and so much more Free parking for all events. Get your tickets for everything now by going to LiveCasinoHotel.com. That is LiveCasinoHotel.com. And, Miles, this was our first solo show without having Stan, without having Craig
2: there that, to, you know, keep us upright. How do you feel you did today, man? Um, Let's see. I'll give, myself, I'll give you a 10 out of 10. I give me an 8 out of 10. Oh, Miles, I think you're not <laughs> crediting yourself enough. I give you a 10 out of 10 All myself right, there. there so, I go. think
1: you did a great job.
2: I think it's been fun. It's like uh, sitting and being like the pitch hitter, you know, the pinch hitter getting called up, like Terry Crowley back in the day, you know, coming up and. And do what you got to do and, uh, you know, trying to trying to read up a lot. I think one of the hardest things right now is spring training is reading up on a lot of the players that are kind of coming up, you know, things that are changing so quickly. Like when you're in the regular season, you know, you kind of get in that flow. But here in, in in March, there's just a lot of stuff. And and uh, unless you're really like surfing around the web and looking at PressBoxLive.com, Online, looking for Oriole information. There's not a ton of you know, not a ton of stuff you know coming out of Oriole camp right now. Well,
1: exactly. It, it, it's it's spring training, and there's so many players. They're just starting now. They just made their first round of cuts. Well, no, I'm sorry, their second round of cuts yesterday, and they're just starting to whittle down that that roster. That the 26 man roster is going to go north with the club, and it's not going to be the same 26 men all year. We know that. Yeah. We're smart enough to figure that out. So, and like you said. The research that you have to do to do a show like this during spring training—it's—it's—it's it's, it's mind-boggling. There's a lot of work that goes into the show, and you know, for me personally, I love doing it, so it doesn't feel like work to me. No, it's um, not work. So this was this was exciting for me. I really enjoyed myself, and I think that you know we pivoted nicely uh, when we had the little hiccup with that, with not being able to get Bill Ladson on the line. So
2: I, I just can't believe I'm sitting in Stan Charles' chair. That's, oh my, are you, are you? I've known Stan Charles since I was. 18 years old and to to pinch hit for Stan is that, that's that's a high honor
1: well and I'll tell you I did a I did a podcast for Utah Street Report last year and Fanimal radio and Stan was a guest of mine and you know I, I don't want to inflate his ego too much here but I was kind of in awe because it was Stan the fan. Yeah. Everybody in Baltimore knows who Stan the fan is, and he's sitting there in studio with me talking Orioles baseball. And that was one of those moments where I was like, "Man, I've made it. I haven't made it yet." <laughs> but I—that I, was the first time that I sat there and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool." So, I right, Well, speaking of Stan, he's going to be back in studio next week, uh, joining us. We should have Craig in studio. Uh, not positive about that, but I'm thinking we'll we'll have him. I'll be here. That's for sure. Uh, Miles, really great doing the show. I I think you and I are going to be doing another one in two weeks from now. Yeah, I believe so. uh, Because Stan has a bot mitzvah that he has to go to. So it'll be uh, Miles and I back in here in two weeks. Until then, join me, Stan, and Craig next Saturday. That was not grammatically correct. Join Stan, (laughs) Craig, and I next Saturday here on the Bat Around. Until then, everybody have a great weekend and an even better week.